in a culture, the traditional culture approach is tell people what to believe or what, how we hope they believe. And then from that belief, we hope they'll change their behavior. And we're saying, give them a behavior and experience and that will change their belief. And that's the bottom line of this whole podcast today. All right, welcome everyone to episode 13 of the Stop Decorating the Fish podcast. I'm your co-host, Randy Cox. Ooh, is that an unlucky number that we're on 13? I just thought of that as I said that. I wonder if <gasps> we should skip it, but I'm not superstitious. Okay, but maybe it'll be a great episode. It'll be a great Keep one. going. Okay, so across from me, you've just heard, is my very hardworking, beautiful wife, Chris. And we have a really cool topic tonight, Chris. This is uh, something that everybody, you hear the, about this a lot, and that is culture. And you have kind of an interesting take on it, that it may not be something we go after the way we think we go after it. Yeah, my experience of culture is that we think we can just put up some value statements and some mission statements in lobbies with great posters and talk about it, and then it happens. (laughs) But culture is actually a byproduct. I don't think it's something you can hit directly. You can be intentional about it, but it's a byproduct of other things you do. We can get more into that as we talk. All right, cool. So first of all, what is the what is a maybe a, a more traditional way of thinking about this? That, that, that maybe you know, it, that's what's so funny. It feels like this ethereal term. You know, what, what does culture really mean? I think when people talk about it, they it's about how people feel about work, the values, the beliefs they have about the workplace the values they have about how they serve their citizens or their colleagues and how they interact. And I think because it's this value-based concept that a lot of it ends up being lots of retreats on wordsmithing value statements. I don't know if anyone's experienced that or not. And that's great, you know, that's a starting place. But the question is, let's say you want your, you know, part of your, your culture is employee engagement. Okay, well, what does employee engagement even mean? What I'd like to do is start with what's the behavior? You know, Randy, this is actually your example. If, if aliens came down to the planet and observed your workplace and they couldn't understand English, they couldn't, you know, understand anything about language, but they could watch what you do, what would they think about your culture? So I think what's helpful is to start about what are the behaviors you'd like to see manifest that would demonstrate what you believe, right? It's easy to talk about what you believe. The question is, what's the physical change? What's the behavior that demonstrates what you believe? That's the first starting place. And then you can reverse design from there. So for example, people talk employee engagement. Well, what does that mean? Let's say that means everyone around the table has the is valued their opinion is valued and respected all right so now we know for that to happen you would be around a table six people and each person would have an opportunity to speak okay fantastic so what's the change you're going to make in your meeting agenda or how do you actually facilitate the meeting so that happens then you've got to get really specific and concrete and you've got to make a physical change in your meeting agenda it could be something like everybody goes around the room for two minutes and expresses what's positive about the recommended change and what's negative about the recommended change. I'm making stuff up. But it's not enough just to have value statements. 
you've got to reverse design the process starting with the behavior that would manifest or demonstrate the values that you think are important. And I remember, I remember during the dot-com era, we kind of thought that creating a good culture was how many ping-pong tables you could have and could you have a rock climbing wall in the building. So there's, yeah. there's something to having. I've, I've been in some really, really nice offices with gyms and kitchens and all kinds of really, really cool amenities. But it's almost like can we create fun, a fun place versus – but, with, but not thinking about how well are we actually performing the work. Yeah, I mean, that's great. It's a, it's a perk, and I would distinguish perks. But, you know, perk and culture are different things. So you have a free cafeteria, you have ping pong tables. It's a fun, those are perks, but perks are very different from culture. Culture is about the manifestation of your values, both within your teams and in your service delivery. You know, I, you see all the time these mission statements, value mission statements, on organizations website about what the customer means you know we value integrity we value our customer i rather throw all those out the door any day of the week and actually see how in operations that actually manifests itself right what does that really mean that you respect your customer well for me that would mean you say what you're going to do and then you do it when you say you're going to do it so if you're going to process an application you don't put them on 30-day wait time to get their application process. That's not valuing your customer. So operations, your value again has to manifest in a physical change and the behavior you want to see manifest and then you have to reverse design to that. So let's let's pick up on that, the physical change idea because that's super important. And I've seen you go into consult with organizations. They clearly understand, they, they understand what you've taught them they go and then teach their people or whatever, but nothing changes in the operations, mm -hmm. which means no results change, right? Right. So, so talk about how critical that is and what is that, maybe what does that look like? What's an example? Well, it, it's, first of all, let's say it's easier to write, write it up and have a nice, fancy, glossy value statement. What's hard is to actually go change it in operation. So let's talk about environments where we're doing, let's say, business permitting. Okay, you've got, you want businesses to come in your state and we want to have a business friendly culture. All right, maybe you don't want that. I'm just using it as an example. You want to have a place where business people can do business. We've had a recent example where we had somebody who wanted to do business with us in a state that's, that's out there. And I think this is true in many states, but the contracting process for a small business is so onerous that it's, you, it's questionable if it's worth our time, right? The amount of, you know, redundancy you have to have in insurance, the the exposure that they would you would give up for your um, IP, yeah, your for IP example, would be gone your IP would yeah. be gone, things like that. Really, you can talk about wanting um, to support small businesses, but when you look at what's really happening in the contracting process, it really discourages it. And the challenge is, is that the leaders talk about the value, but they don't have the, the time or the attention to go read every, every, you know, every single contract. So the challenge is, is how do your values at the top penetrate, clear down to the you know, fantastic attorney who's doing the best he or she can with the knowledge they have and all the rules they have to follow? How does that penetrate the front line who's actually drafting the contract? And that's, the, at the end of the day, though, what it takes. You have to think big and act small. 
you know, you've got to get down to the small SOPs to really make that stuff happen. And that takes time and you've got to really keep drilling. You got to drill down and see that manifest. And that's why it's so important for leaders to be very focused with the types of changes they make and the amount they make at any one time. And that's a whole series we'll do on work and process controls and work limits. But leaders can just launch, launch, launch projects they don't have the time to really make sure that's penetrating the front line. And so the values just don't stick and people become frustrated and jaded and cynical about all these vision mission statements that are out there. And I agree with the people who are frustrated. It's nonsense. So I think, I think the the senior leaders know the message needs Mm -hmm. to filter all the way down. So they might have like a cascading, they might have a town hall, they might have whatever they Mm -hmm. use and the message that they're trying to get across makes it all the way down. But nothing changes, nothing physically. Yeah, the, the contract the, itself, the language in the contract is the same. The workflow is the exact same yeah. or whatever. And and I think... The measures are the exact same. And it's not those people like those people on the front line are bad or don't care. What the challenge is, is that they're getting measured off something very specific. If I'm measuring the contract, I've got to make sure I'm complying with all the policies, Right. Well, who's setting the policies? They're just doing their job within the sandbox they've been given. And so you've really got to look at the, the standard operating procedures, the measures, the policies, the technology that are driving behaviors that run counter to the values we want to see manifest. Yeah, I think one example you used along the way was an airlines. What the customer wants is to get there on time safely. Yeah. And, and they're having mechanical problems. Yes. And then they have the, like, we value you as a customer and you're listening to that hold music about how important we are as a customer. Right. And then you're on the phone for like two hours trying to rebook your, your deal. At the end, this is what drives me crazy. At the end of this, they, they'll have a stay on hold to provide feedback on how we did for a, for a one question survey. And you get to the other end of it. And the question is, would you hire this person? And I, you know, I appreciate that. It's giving feedback on that individual performance. But that individual is in the middle of a horrible place, right? They can't control the mechanical problem. They can't control poor scheduling or, or what, what's really happened. They're just, they are disempowered. They don't have, we know the phrase, you know, who, whoever has the uh, responsibility should also have the power. And what happens is that people who have the power often don't have the responsibility in terms of really solving that for the front line on the front line with the customer. And so that poor customer service rep, they're taking all the heat and there's not much they can do about it except be happy and as helpful as they can. So it's just, it's just out of whack. Like, great, have a nice customer service interaction on the front end, but the real value the customer wants is to get there on time. And this is really important to distinguish when you're talking about value Sometimes that gets into customer experience and we need to do a whole different podcast just on customer experience and customer journey initiatives. All of those are assuming that your product or service is the right product or service. It's sufficient and it's really going to meet the needs. And are you del- and if you can deliver your right product, let's say the airlines, if you can have a you know 99% on time departure and arrival and a significant reduction in maintenance issues, you know, you can't control weather. And you've done all that. That's what really people want. That's how you respect your customer is delivering on time what they actually want. And then you can do the nice customer experience, customer journey, what's the interaction with the you know, purchasing agent or the ticket agent. That's fine. 
but those first fundamental needs have got to be met. And I see governments and, you know, it's, it's almost more challenging in governments because in private sector, if your product or service isn't adequate, you're going to reduce, you know, your market share decreases, you lose profitability, you'll get pretty quick feedback loops. In government, we don't get those feedback loops. You can stay in business forever and, you know, it doesn't matter. So a lot of times government, the jumps, they leapfrog over the most important thing the customer wants. You really respect your customer, get the application done in a few days, not 45 days, and then jump into your customer experience initiatives. We put the cart before the horse when we're trying to create culture. And culture, if it's about valuing people, ultimately, I think a lot of culture is that. Your, your peers, your colleagues, your, your customer, what, how does that manifest in operations, in your meetings? And it's hard. I haven't always been perfect at this, but learned a lot along the way of what not to do and what to do. You know, we, we have both worked in some high-performing teams, mm-hmm. some high-performing organizations. And I know the ones I'm thinking about, they were still hard. It was a tough environment. There were no pool tables to be found, still long hours, <laughs> yep. no free meals. But it was, we were humming as a team, and mm-hmm. we knew what we were there to do and we mm-hmm. were doing it and we were, we knew we were doing it well. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a cultural byproduct that happens when you know you are a part, a key part of a high performing yeah, team. You just, I, I, I love that. I mean, for me, that's where I like to hang out, right? I, I give up my pool tables and all that to be on a team that is on its game, which means though, how do you know if you're high performing? You deliver what you say you're going to deliver when you're going to deliver it and hopefully under budget. And I don't care what, that's not even just IT projects. That's any type of work we do. Again, processing a business permit or providing a child welfare investigation, all that stuff. We want to see that, but you can't just talk about high-performing teams unless you understand operationally and execution, what does that look like? What, do you, what standard are you holding yourself? And then what would you do differently in your operations and your interactions to make that happen? I would just like everyone to ignore value statements <laughs> for a bit. And I mean, look at them. But I mean, I, I can't go to one more like retreat where people are just talking about wordsmithing value statements for a year. And it, it doesn't translate to what's happening for the customer. It's worthless. And, and in fact, I think it makes things worse because people are frustrated. They, well, leadership seems know. out of touch. Yeah, they're like, leadership's your, out of touch. Yeah, your team members know. Yeah. This is what we're here to do. We're here to get people there on time. We're asking them, did they have a good stay in the lobby while they were waiting for the doctor or something? And it's, yeah. it's like, no, I would really rather be back with the with doctor. The doctor. That yeah. would have been a better experience for me. Yeah. But you, you actually that experience you actually have this idea that our experience informs our beliefs. And you I've heard you use a hospital type example. Yeah, so before. well, I mean let's let's talk about COVID and, and you can see where the challenges it was so polarized and I think for very legitimate reasons. If you were doctor or in a healthcare professional in a hospital seeing all of these patients coming in with COVID related issues that were significant and you saw people passing away because of it your experience of covid is going to be informed differently than people out in the community who have been around a lot of people who have been exposed and every most people they know have recovered and in many cases everyone they know has recovered 
their experience is informing their belief. And the experience, again, is this physical change, this things in the environment they're seeing, touching, experiencing, hearing. And so if we want our cultures to be different, so you can see even in COVID, that really informed the two sides, right? Shut down the economy, don't shut down the economy. And both people were coming at it from very legitimate belief systems that were informed by their experiences. So if you want your team to have a different culture or your employee engagement or your folks, you've got to think about the experience they would have that would inform them about the beliefs you want them to embrace. And you've got to be very intentional and deliberate about it. So not easy. That's why I think fewer value statements are better. You know, you can have this list of like nine value statements and stuff, but to really get a few all the way through and to make it work does take time and intentionality getting it to the physical change. So, you know, just start with one value statement and think about all the way down, what would that look like? Let's say respect for people, right? That I learned from our great friend, Max Brown. Lean, which I've studied a lot and practice it back in a different lifetime and use elements of it still today, although very, you know, very specifically where I'm gonna use it. But lean originally meant respect for humanity. And the way that Taicho Ono had that manifest in like TPS, Toyota Production System, was I, I don't want people working on things that aren't value added. That's a waste of their time. That's not a respectful way for people to work, to work on things that are gonna just be thrown away, aren't helpful to the product. So he had this idea of re respect for humanity. What would that look like in the workflow? What would that manifest in inventory and waste and you know seven mudas and all the waste concepts so it's really neat in that environment to see how the belief there was an experience how people work the physical change was informed by a fundamental value yeah and i i think kind of what you're saying is just this basic idea of integrity like that we are integrated with what we say what we say we value we do yeah and I remember you saying some example of like a leader sending out email about work-life balance. Over a weekend. Over a weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's great that you're saying it. <laughs> work-life balance, we care about you over the weekend. You know, I remember going blind and, and people could say, hey, blindness is not the end. You know, you can still have a productive life. And those were great things, but I didn't really believe it. I could repeat it back, I could say it, but I didn't believe it in my bones until I went to my five-month residential training program, changed my life, and how to do like really hard things like with sleep shades on, use power saws and power tools and you know build furniture. I had to do something physical to inform my belief system. Often we want to make people believe it so that they'll change their behaviors. What we're saying is change the behavior so they can believe it. But part of that, <clears throat> part of that experience was you gaining the confidence that you could do things that you thought were impossible. Well, that's what my point is. That's the whole point of the residential right. training center. Yeah. But you, but it was like that was that came from experience. That was hard, like scary, you know, scary. There were so many yeah. really interesting stories you had. But yeah. once you had done that, once you had used a power saw in a work, you know, a wood shop, 
then you have more confidence than you did going into yeah. that. And it's it's not just, it's the confidence, but it, it's it's the belief, right? It's, and the confidence comes from the belief. And so yeah, again, our in a culture, the traditional culture approach is tell people what to believe or what how we hope they believe. And then from that belief, we hope they'll change their behavior. And we're saying, give them a behavior and experience and that will change their belief. And that's the bottom line of this whole podcast today. So if you're a leader and you, you really believe in a vision statement or value statement or whatever, that's fine. But you're saying don't just have the weekend retreat posted on the wall and then assume it will just somehow magically kind of just yeah. make its way into the ether. Yeah, I'd reverse your, I've reverse designed the whole thing. So you're, you, you, you've brought up a couple of things. You brought up metrics. You brought up just the, the workflow. You brought up like an experience, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot that would have to go into like diagnosing, like what would our values look like from the alien perspective and what are all the elements that would go into that we would have to change if we really wanted to live this value, we really wanted to. So let's take business friendly environment. Let's just go and then we can wrap it up. But let's say a state comes out and says we value business. Okay, that's great. Let's let's look at the behaviors. Again, I'm doing this on the fly, not saying it's complete, but you know, people should think about it. Or people could say we value the environment and business. So I don't want anyone here to freak out. You know, I'm all about breaking the conflict. I think you can have a great economy and build business and also have great environments, separate issue. But on the business side, what would that look like? Well, how would a business feel valued? What, what would they have to experience or what physical change would have to happen in government and in the ecosystem for them to feel that way? Probably low taxes. They don't wanna work really, really hard and give away all their taxes. We can talk later about how you can do that without impacting education or social services. You can do both. So no comments on that. But let's say they'd want to experiment, experience low taxes. They would probably like to also experience really timely services. When you go to get a business permit, and you've got to deal with three or four or five or six agencies. They probably only want to have one touch point. They probably like reliability, that if they're going to have a business permit, it happens when it says it's going to happen, not on average. Averages are cop-outs. You know, we say you're going to get it in 14 days, you get it in 14 days. They're probably going to want it to be uh, the, the very cost prohibitive, uh, like cost affordable to do any business permitting. We saw a story the other day of a entity that going to build public restrooms for the homeless and it was going to cost $1.7 million for the government to do it. And a contractor came in and said, hey, we'll do it. It could be much cheaper. And yet the overhead was still going to be $1.2 million for a business to build a bathroom of $1.7 million, $1.2 million in overhead. That's not business friendly. That's bureaucratic, red tape, nightmare, needless. What, what else would the business need to see? Well, they're going to want to know they have a good workforce, right? So you can't just say, oh, we have a top-notch workforce. We value education. Show me. Show me that if they have an educational need for skilled labor, that a system of education could turn around a new program in weeks or months, not years. So it, that's the conversation. What, what would they need to see or experience? And then compete at one, it's better because you can compete off that. Culture is about making, helping people rise to their highest level of potential. 
both the people we serve and our employees. That's what we really want. And you got to reverse design to that and go all the way down. So last time, don't just say it, behave it. <laughs> and from behaving, beliefs change. Yeah, you're almost saying it's like at the end of each one of these aspirational statements, it would be something like, as measured by, or as de- or we demonstrate this by, or something. Yeah, very physical, specific. Yeah, like concrete. Yeah, very concrete, very concrete. And if you can't get to that point, throw it in the trash. You're you're just going to frustrate your folks. Your people are going to think you're out of touch, and you're not serious about it. Do the hard work, or don't do it at all. I mean, I know that's controversial. It's not enough. It's not enough for somebody to say, "Hey, you're blind. It's okay. You can figure it out." You got to kind of earn your right to believe what you want to believe. It, it takes time. So anyway, there's our topic for the day. We hear a lot about it lately and thought it would be helpful to spend some time on it. Yeah, great, great topic. We will end it there. So thank you again very much for listening. And um, we hope you go back. And if you have not already, hope you go back to the back catalog and, and get caught up and get familiar with the Seductive 7 which were in our initial episodes. Those are some ideas that came from Kristen's two books that she co-authored with Dr. Ishai Ashlock. If you are not already, we encourage you to follow Chris on LinkedIn. She has a very short, but very helpful post two or three times a week. And we encourage you to check out the Fulcrum, which is Kristen's online private training community. It's also where she keeps her long form content. So articles, longer form articles, videos, we've had past webinars, a lot, of, a lot of content that would be far too long to put in, say, like a 90-second LinkedIn post or something like that. So we hope you check that out. That's at www.jointhefulcrum.com. It's free to join, and you can request to join there. All right. Anything last thoughts, Chris? Yeah, just like this is a journey. It's hard. I've never done it. Per, you know, I haven't done it perfectly. I've learned a lot. But just start somewhere. Just start with one simple physical change you can make. And that sometimes that one seed can do miracles. Yeah, you're you're kind of saying so, like if you take one thing all the way through, yeah, you might be better thing. off than like having twelve or fifteen. Yeah, things. just take one thing. Yeah. Okay. All right, excellent. Thanks. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, talk to you again in two weeks. And in the meantime, stop decorating the fish. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>